0: I see these ridiculous LinkedIn and Facebook posts saying hire the best people and then leave them alone to do their job. I could not imagine a dumber bit of advice ever. I've never heard anything that stupid in my life. We do not hire people and leave them alone. We hire people and love them and support them and coach them and mentor them and give them feedback and challenge them and ask them what resources they need and check in with them. And sure, we don't micromanage them, but we do all the other things. So we do not hire people and leave them alone. We hire people and we build people first who then build things. And and that's part of what we've lost track of in our industry. And so it's two parts that we as leaders have got to stop being so gosh darn busy to where we actually take the time and the people who are actually needing to take the time need to actually ask for the time and so if, when those two worlds come together we're going to get right back on track.
1: Hey what's going on everyone welcome back to the CM Mentors podcast where each week industry leading guests share their insights and guidance to help the next generation of construction management. My name is Matt Graves my co-host each week is Kyle Grandell. And this week's guest is multi-time author and founder of Elevate Construction, Jason Schroeder. Welcome and thanks for joining us, Jason.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's my pleasure, and I'm excited to be here with you. So, um, it's an honor to be invited on the podcast. I love. Most of the time, I'm I'm interviewing or doing a solo podcast, and I just love uh, being asked questions. So, go ahead. Right, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. I've been on
1: a, a number of podcasts too, on the podcast side and now hosting one. It's a, it's a whole different experience, so it's, it's fun.
0: Okay, yeah, I love it. For, well, those
1: that, uh, right. for those that don't know you, Jason, can you give us a little bit short background on yourself?
0: Yeah, absolutely, so uh, currently I'm 41. I'm married to Kate Schroeder, she's the CEO of our company and thankfully my eternal companion. We've got 11 kids and they range from five to 19. They're all ours, we pay taxes. We uh, we pay for their health insurance the whole night. So we've got a we got a big family. They're super expensive, and I just absolutely just adore them. I grew up my all of my ancestors are well, all of my ancestors are from Germany, and they were builders there in Europe and. Uh, in the United States, like everybody. uh, The exception is my grandfather was a cattle rancher, but uh, like building is just in my blood. And my dad uh, drove a ready-mix truck uh, for a concrete company in Southern California. And I started, I didn't go to college. I started up through the trades. I was a cement mason finisher uh, to most people, uh, form setter, equipment operator, and worked my way up, started with Hensel Phelps, was able to be a rodman and a field engineer and then just literally worked my way up through the ranks and had a great time so i was trained by hensel phelps for 14 years to they just like they used to i don't know if they do anymore i'm not saying they don't but like hensel phelps was like <laughs> the training company uh and they just instilled just beat those concepts in me uh, over 14 years and i i loved it and then i went to work for dpr for four years really got to know lean Uh, Culture, you know this progressive idea of business, and then was able to start to uh, work with companies scaling these techniques, and was able to start our own business. So we cashed in our retirement. Katie and me started the business for the purpose of really taking care of the industry, making sure that people have fun again, respect their trades, and make sure they can go home well to their families. And that's not just talk; like our systems and training are doing that for people. So it's hard. Doesn't pay very well, but it's super fun. It's very rewarding. So that's me. How long you been doing your own business? Uh, So it's been. It was mid twenty twenty. So what is Uh that? It's almost three years now. Yeah. Wow. So like. So we're we're already. What is it? Most businesses, like ninety percent of businesses, fail in the first year, and then the other nine percent of the ten percent in the next five. So we're looking towards our our five year milestone.
1: There you go. That's so cool. Was COVID a driver to kind of stopping and starting something fresh?
0: No, it was really just the timing when everything was right. So Elevating Construction Superintendents, our first book, like I've been working on that thing since I was like 28 and just gathering information, like stealing it from superintendents. And I I was able to train with (laughs) Huntsville Phelps, meaning fly around the country, around the nation doing training and everywhere I go. I went. I would uh, interview general superintendents and operations managers, and so I was taking these stories and things. And when I was working in Oakland, doing a you know employment but consulting thing, uh, I really started to put that together. And as soon as that book c- came together, that's when we felt like it was the time to start doing the podcast because the systems were kind of put together. And once the podcast started, it really just uh, took off from there because uh, the podcast LinkedIn are ways that uh, people really got to know us and it really drove that connection so that's really what the driver was
1: that's all that's a such a cool story
0: um you got uh, another one coming out in a couple weeks right yep yep it's it's elevating construction foreman uh depending on where the industry is headed so like i i care about our industry being inclusive and diverse but i don't really care what we call things so i'm i put out a poll yesterday i was like should we do Foreman, four persons, or crew leaders. And so I'm waiting to hear back on that. So, depending on what we do there, uh, that book's coming out. But that's probably so we have elevated construction superintendents, senior superintendents, surveyors. There's a book called Tact Planning and Integrated Control for Scheduling and Last Planner. And then this one will be specifically for that foreman crew leader position. And I'm probably more stoked about this than anything that we've ever published because it talks about. That leadership, how to lead a crew, the day in the month, week, or life of a foreman. And then it goes into uh, specifically how to actually maintain production. So people talk about production, and this applies to project managers and supers too. I know you have a lot of you know, PMs and office you know, minded folks that listen to your show. Uh, this applies to both. But like people talk about flow and production all the time. And like literally, um, I'm not being insulting, but like 99.9 of people in our industry have no idea what that means. And I had to go scratch and claw and beg and find people that knew what the heck it meant. And after doing that, you know, in North and South America and Europe, finding that information, and actually some research from Japan, we finally know what it means to flow and, and achieve that production. So we put that into bite-sized pieces that foremen can follow as they work in zones with their crews. And I'm just freaking stoked about it like i i hope i hope it's well received because it's the it's the exact foundation that i think foremen need to really live in, uh, and operate in a remarkable manner so
1: that's so cool and kyle like when we, we talked with alex Vachera, one of the topics was uh you know there's not a lot of support for kind of we call it like the middle management stuff but like a foreman it feels like that's like that's like the first leadership role right you kind of become a crew leader you become a foreman and those guys, like, they're trained on the tools. They don't have any leadership training, formal training, typically. Yeah. So that's such a cool resource.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. There, so there's nothing – well, so there's a couple of, like, really stodgy books for superintendents out there in the industry. Uh, there's a little bit more for PMs. Uh, there's uh, – I for, I forgot his name, but um, anyway, really good guy. But he wrote the book, The Five-Minute Foreman, and that's a neat little book. But this – other than some of these other references, this is really the first like full volume of how to do this soup to nuts, and I'm I'm pretty stoked. Yeah, there's there's I've Can you believe that we've been building things for so long and we don't have looks for foreman, field engineers, surveyors, and superintendents? Like this is insane, man. Like. Uh, and, and even if there's technical stuff like university textbooks like something that can really like get them yeah. like the right help that they need so I agree with you it's pretty cool
1: and written in a way that they'll actually read it too because it, no one wants to read a textbook yeah
0: well it's funny when I first <laughs> so, started when I first started reading that writing I, I, I this sounds corny I don't know if your listeners, listeners will connect with this but I prayed about it I'm like hey what should I be doing and the, the immediate thought was intro story quote no no sorry intro quote story application every chapter intro quote story application over and over and over and over and the stories and those white-sized chunks have really in my opinion connected like you're talking about it's really the format that's
1: so cool and that was like a driver for us on this too it's instead of the field you know kind of more the office route but kind of that construction manager that entry level like You know, me and Kyle, I mean, everybody I talked to kind of had the same conversation. One thing we bonded on was like, the fact that like when you get out of college, like you don't know anything. Like you don't know, I remember my first job, they are like, hey, you put together this submittal. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like write an RFI, like I don't even know what that is. And so, and there's nothing out there to really take you by the hand and walk you through this. You know, you gotta be trained by Hensel Phelps if you're with a really good company
0: or if you're a real small company sometimes you just get thrown thrown to the wolves. Yeah, and we've, you know, back in the day, and I can't, I'm not going to mention any companies by name, but these big companies used to be like, you know, $800 million, billion, $1.5 billion, right? Now they're $8, $16 billion a year, and yes, there's inflation as a part of that, I get it, but um, they were doing more training, in my opinion, from my observ- observation, when they were like, 100 million, 800 million, $1.5 billion companies than they are when they're like $9 billion, right? And I think I this is a suspicion that I have. As revenues increased, um, the same budget uh, line items on the job cost reports, like the same reports came out, and they see that number growing, and they're like, oh, we got to cut back. But what I don't think people realize is that the training increases of the company should have grown proportional with proportionately with the people they're hiring and their revenue and they're, they're not. And I can honestly say that I believe that uh, we are doing less per employee uh, training uh, than we did 15 years ago. Like that's my, at least in my circles, in my narrow uh, field, we're doing less training. And so we can't just go blame it on the workforce or the industry or whoever, like who's ju- who had the money to train people? They, it was it was the owners, it was the general contractors, and it was the training partners. And we're the ones complaining about like a a uh, entry level worker or a foreman's not gonna go spend twenty thousand dollars out of the gate and go right their training. Who was gonna provide that training? We were gonna provide that training. So we've gotta get that rain back in to your point. It's just such a huge part.
1: Yeah, and maybe as those companies get bigger and especially if they become become public companies, they don't really the employees kind of have maybe some second nature to the stockholder too. So trimming, yeah. and, trimming and costs everywhere they can. Yeah,
0: maybe I don't know exactly what's going on, but we got to we got to double, triple, quadruple our training. Hundred percent good training.
2: <laughs> hey Jason, would you say that you see a certain sector in construction, maybe that's more affected by the lack of training than other sectors, or any trends that you're seeing with that? Uh, mm,
0: no uh, I, I, let me say this, the trend that I'm seeing that it's deficient everywhere. And I think, I think there's a couple things. So obviously it's a part of the system. It's a part of people not being willing to pay for it. It's a part of the fact that in the U S at least the amount of work that we have has, has grown exponentially. Like now we have like, like billion dollar, billion dollar projects back in the day. I don't know if you remember, but they were like oh, wow, that's unheard of. Like, that's a big Intel building or something like that, or that's an airport. Now, billion-dollar projects are, like, the norm. Like, they're, like in Phoenix, there's uh, Intel, there's Facebook, there's some development complexes, there's the Taiwan Semiconductor, there's the, the expansions on the... Like, it's just normal, right? Like, construction has just grown, so I do think that that's part of it. Um, but what I've noticed is that of all of these things that have affected the system and turned us to not train as much, uh, even the best of the best are being affected. I will go visit projects for large construction companies that know what they're doing. And nobody knows who I'm talking about. Nobody trying to guess, but like large construction companies. And the, some of these superintendents and PMs like literally are, are um, young doesn't have anything to do with it. They're a lot younger, but they have no idea what they're doing. Like literally, they don't have the basics of survey and control. And I'm not criticizing. I'm saying nobody provided that. They don't have survey and control. They were never taught AutoCAD. They never uh, got into the basics of uh, actually like creating lift drawings. Uh, they don't know how to run the schedule themselves. They don't know how to put together like a, a procurement. Like, let me go on a rant here for a minute. Like, I, everybody's like COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen affected our supply chains. We can't get anything. Yes. Totally agree. That messed up. But I'll ask job site teams, "Where's your procurement log? I want to see what you're dealing with." They're like, "Well, we don't do that. We just the trades do that." What do you mean? What do you mean the the trades do that? Where Where is your procurement on a schedule or on your project management software or in a log? Where is it? Well, we 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 don't really. We have some of them, but we just trust the trades. No. Procurement logs or procurement on the schedule or at least the submittal register, as you all know very well, is project management 101. And nobody taught them these things. And so we have people, God bless them, they're great people, running multi $100 million projects without the basic tools of how to do it. And so it's really just habit, the common habits of the people, whatever they know, keeping these jobs running instead of a common collectively trained intelligence, right? It's it's not like a common system, a common taught system, it's habits. Now what I want to move, I want to have the system and the people trained together and I want the, co- the trained system with habit merged together to where it literally everybody knows what should be done, they're taught, they implement it, and it's reinforced through observations. And so... That's what I'm seeing everywhere. It could be a $500,000 project. It could be a $5 million project. It could be a $3 billion project. There are very few trained people these days, not because of their own fault. It's because they were not forced to be field engineers. They were not forced to go learn in the field. They were not forced to... And forced maybe sounds like a bad word, but they didn't get to work with the craft. They didn't learn AutoCAD. They didn't learn lift drawings. They didn't learn... How to actually put these uh, systems together. They didn't learn how to write contracts. All of these things were just something they knew to do and they got promoted past. And so I want to fix that. They deserve better. Like these people are smart, they're capable, they care, they deserve that kind of basic training.
1: I've even seen like entry level, you know, construction or construction managers, like project engineers, office engineers, whatever you want to call it. They just, they're pushing paper all the time. They don't even get a chance to walk out in the field and talk to the trades and yeah. really learn what's happening on the project. Like it, everything, their whole idea of project management is sitting behind the computer and just pushing papers.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got to it's change if we're ever going to make the right kind of progress. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's totally my thoughts in that direction.
2: So, so Jason, what are your? Um, what got you into this this movement? I'm calling it of you know going towards lean construction, going towards <laughs> the way things should be. You know, what, was there like an aha moment for you, or you know, some kind of specific thing that happened, or you know, what's your story there?
0: Well, really, um, I can. That's an interesting thing. So I've I've always accidentally been on good jobs. So uh, back in the day, and. Um, it, let let me say this bad projects crash landed projects were not the norm back in the day just period end of story it just wasn't a thing um crash landed projects were very much like a one-off and everyone knew about it right so when i grew up at Hansel phelps i was constantly on massive projects that ran very very well and when you there's something that i call learned hopelessness there was a I hope I'm not taking too long, but there was a study uh, that they did with uh, German shepherd. Or, yeah, German shepherds, unfortunately. And I'm I, I'm sad that they did this, but they did the study, so we might as well use the data. They took uh, dogs and they would put them in a in a cage and they would do, shock them. They did another cage where half of the cage was shocked and half of the cage wasn't, and then the third one they did no shock. And then they would move all of the dogs to three cages where it was half and half. And the cages um, where the dogs were shocked, uh, they um, when you moved them, or where it was half and half, when you moved them, they wouldn't segregate. Uh, when you took the cage that wasn't shocked and, of dogs into the new cage, they would all move from the shock side to the non-shock side. And so what they called it is they, they figured out that with animals, and that includes humans, there's a a sense of learned hopelessness. And one of the things I put in the superintendent book, the worst thing that a person can do is come out of school or from the trades and be on two or three bad jobs. Because then they get learned hopelessness and they're like, well, this is just the way it is. I guess this is just my life. I accidentally, of no um, earning of this of myself, like uh, no merit on my own, was able to accidentally be on big job. And so I got programmed. This is how you do it. This is how you set up logistics. This is how you organize a team. This is your trailer. This is how you treat trade partners. And so that was programmed. And then once I was at DPR, I already knew scheduling at hensel Fels, But once I learned about Lean and I took the DBIA course and the CM Lean course and the CM BIM course and Lean Core and started doing Tony Robbins training and all these training, I got the opportunity to then – combine that in an eight month pre-construction period and go build a hundred million dollar project and just implement it and it was like wow like this is amazing now one of the biggest things and you can cut this out if you want to but this is pretty forward like tact construction with last planner with scrum which felipe talks about is the way meaning it forms a system um like if somebody somebody, people say well should i use tact on this project or last planner or should i use scrum and that's in my mind and i'm not being insulting that's like saying do i in my body do i want my uh, nervous system my circulatory system or my respiratory system which one are we picking here i want all of them i want to they work as a system and it's a complex system at that and so Um, One of the big things that got me into lean is I was able to learn from Hensel Phelps about SIP scheduling, short interval production schedules, and they're a lot like tax plans. And it's basically where you design a project with zones and you run a train of trades through those zones and instead of focusing on a critical path with a uh, deliverable-based WBS, everything is based by location and it's, it's focusing on a critical flow or a critical flow path. And so that is the scheduling system that we will have to transition to in construction and away from others in order to really elevate our industry. And so that uh, training from Hensel Phelps like, really programmed and brainwashed my mind to where all of these other concepts are starting to pull in. Like, for instance, if you have a builder they think like that already. They don't think by deliverable, and they don't think by scope. They think I'm going uh, from a level one area A to level one area B to level two area A to level two area B, and my crew and a crew behind me is coming through, right? That's how builders think. And so it's only when we start to have schedules and production systems that are designed that way that we'll really start to elevate in construction And that is the basis for all other lean thinking. Scrum, Last Planner, Just in Time, uh, Continuous Improvement, uh, all of these other concepts, uh, visual management, they all fit into that framework. And so that's how the journey kind of started. It was an opportunity at DPR, a good base from Hensel Phelps, and really being programmed into that time by location, time by zone mental framework. So does that answer the question?
2: answers mine for sure that's that's pretty good actually uh can we we do it again
0: (laughs) (laughs) we can we can do that i we're on on the elevate construction podcast we're on episode 770 so that i people people will say to me sometimes you can just riff and it's like well after you've made a thousand videos which you all know a lot about and done 770 solo podcasts you you just wire yourself to like think like that. So I can do it again if you want, <laughs> whatever you want. So uh, that's not bragging. I'm just saying it happens accidentally because of the world we're living in. Right? It's just it's a very social media world that we're in.
1: Kyle, this is gonna be episode six when it goes live. So we've got a we've got a few more you
2: know, to do. We're pretty close. We're pretty close. We're pretty close. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. But hey, you're doing good. You know, any of that people like diversity. People even seven hundred and seventy episodes like they want to hear from Felipe. They want to hear from Adam. They wanna hear from you guys. They wanna hear from these different people. So like I think this is great.
1: So if you know, we talked about earlier about companies aren't training their people like they used to. So if you're, you know, this whole podcast is really kind of tailored towards kind of entry level, say entry to mid level kind of construction uh, professionals, managers, really hopefully some field people as well, superintendents, foremen type thing. So if you're kind of in one of those companies that may not be training you like you, sh- they should be. You know, do you have any tips for those type of people of how they can kind of go train themselves or get their own training? It's hard to it's hard to go find it if you don't really know what you're looking it's for. It's just right? so
2: much of it really quick too. So
0: yeah. Yeah, you know what? Hey, I, I've got the. I think I've got the perfect answer. Uh, number one, I, I would tell anybody read two books: How to Win Friends and Influence People and Think and Grow Rich. There's other books like Focal Point or The One Thing that are pretty good, but Think and Grow Rich will get somebody like to believe that they can be something more, and How to Win Friends and Influence People will immediately get them hooked on listening to a good narrator, to a good book, really being able to implement content right away. And my second bit of advice would be, get addicted to reading. And I'm sure you all do this as well. If you can't read a book a week, read every two weeks, read a book every three weeks, read every month. But you've gotta at least get a book every quarter, uh, whether it's reading or audio. Um, The other thing that I would say is that don't be in so so much of a rush. Uh, It really is a myopic view for people to come out of school or to be promoted and be like, now I want super, now I want this, now I want this, spend the time. It's the the analogy of the cheetah and the gazelle, right? I can't remember the exact amount of seconds. I think it's like four or five seconds that a cheetah can run at full speed. And then, you know, you see on National Geographic, they're like huffing and puffing, they're like out of breath, they have to stop, they're spent, right? And then you see the gazelle, they don't run as fast. They've got to maneuver, outmaneuver the cheetah, but they can run long distances consistently. And a project engineer or a new incoming assistant project manager or whatever they are, or um, project coordinator, or field engineer, or assistant, whatever their role is, if they will take the time to really learn in those entry level roles, they will have an endurance run. And if they rush, they will be like the cheetah and they will wear out. I have seen data in massive companies where PMs and supers get stuck at the PM super one level because they don't have the foundation to go farther. They don't have the survey. They don't have the background in writing contracts. They haven't made procurement logs. They don't know the details of figuring out plans. They can't make lift drawings. They can't visualize things in 3D. They never learned AutoCAD. Um, They never learned how to piece together the schedule. They don't know the basics of how to put together a Gantt chart. And this is not a criticism. This is, if I had to give anyone advice and they're a PE, go be a PE really well. And when you get a chance to go do your training for your project management software, go do it. And when you get a chance to go run an OAC, go do it. When you get a chance to put together a lift drawing or really do a detailed shop drawing review or submittal review uh, that you have to own and build, go do it. And when you get to go work with that format, go do it. And when you get to go learn survey, go do it. And put these tools in your tool belt because if you're in an emergency, like people look at... Um, you know, like martial artists, or um, you know, like you know, uh, 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 sorry, um, special forces units, or you're, you're you look at like um, Black Widow on the, in the Avengers, you know, like on the uh, in the movies, and they're like kicking and throwing and blah blah blah, and they think everything happens magically in the moment. Heck no! What happens is they've accrued all these tools and techniques, and it's muscle memory. Like, when when they're really good at something, like, if you get a really good pro- construction manager and they're like, well, do this. Well, this is how we recover. This is how we submit a time impact analysis. I'll go negotiate. I'll negotiate this change order. This is how we project our contingency. Let's go ahead and look at our financial projections. Tool, 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 tool. Have it, have it, have it. Like, all of these things are muscle memory. And if you want to be the ninja or the special forces of construction, we've got to have those tools. So if you want to go be Black Widow or you want to go be a special ops team or you want to go be like the best of the best of whatever you're doing or the best of the best construction manager, you don't skip the tools. That's like saying, I want to be a Navy SEAL, SEAL but I don't want boot camp. I want, to, I want to be a Navy SEAL, but I don't want to do the entry-level work. Just send me. I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll pass without training. Do the basics of training. So give it more, to sort of be specific, uh, entry-level people, give it more time Start with uh, how to win friends and influence people and uh, think and grow rich. Start reading a book a week. And then the other thing I would say is go ask for the training. Go say, I want this training. Some companies like DPR, they offer, they used to, I don't know anymore, they'll offer you $5,000 of reimbursements for training. Go sign up for that CM Lean course. Go sign up for that scaffolding course. Go sign up for it. You, no one will own your career. You have to own your career. And careers are not built off of smooth talking and and elegance. It's built off of the aggregation of marginal gains. It's built off of accruing these small abilities one by one until you've mastered the role. That's my advice.
1: A lot of what Marty said. Wasn't well, I was just
2: thinking something very similar. Both Marty and Angelo. I mean, tying all the messages in together, it's it's being not afraid to take risks and try new things and do new things. But even more than that, it's being willing. It's signing up for those additional tasks, just like you're saying, Jason, to go to go learn those those different skills and get those tools in your tool belt. So yeah, we just yep. keep going full circle here, Matt.
1: <laughs> I think it's a. Uh... You know, it's confirmation that, you know, everyone, all these leaders in the industry are saying the same thing. So,
0: yeah. And, you know, this isn't the old generation like making fun of the new. It's, um, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us, and I'm not an old timer. I'm only 41. I've only been in the industry 24, 25 years plus eight years of like in my teenage years. But the, um, so that's a while. So that's any 24 to 32 years. But, the the point is is that a lot of us nowadays are like yeah just go figure it out but we forget for the most part any of the great old timey people you see had a mentor even if he was a jerk even if if it, it, if it was a she it was probably wasn't a jerk so I'll just say he even if it, <laughs> even if he was a jerk or a complete a hole. Or like just totally, you know, not approachable. Somebody was grilling us, drilling us, yelling at us, teaching us, mentoring us. Uh, we were following them, and we're not even giving that. Like, like here's the thing: people are like, "Let's all be nice nowadays," which I totally agree with. But even yelling at somebody would be kinder than just throwing them off in the distance and being like, "Figure it out." Without any, we didn't have to figure it out when we were. Uh, growing up, mm-hmm. all of us had something, and then we used that something to figure it out. And so nowadays, we're just telling people, here's not something, just go figure it out, and make it out of the whole cloth. That's ridiculous. And so sometimes I see just one last point here I see these ridiculous LinkedIn and Facebook posts saying, hire the best people and then leave them alone to do their job. I could not imagine a dumber bit of advice ever. I've never heard anything that stupid in my life. We do not hire people and leave them alone. We hire people and love them and support them and coach them and mentor them and give them feedback and challenge them and ask them what resources they need and check in with them. And sure, we don't micromanage them, but we do all the other things. So we do not hire people and leave them alone we hire people and we build people first who then build things and we, and that's part of what we've lost track of in our industry and so it's two parts that we as leaders have got to stop being so gosh darn busy to where we actually take the time and the people who are actually needing to take the time need to actually ask for the time and so if, when those two worlds come together we're going to get right back on track
1: That's such a, I love that, dude. Um, <laughs> hey, going back,
0: to, <laughs> I'm
1: speechless like, That's such a great point. Uh, going back a minute ago when you're talking about a, a little bit. <laughs> no, that's a big, like, I, I love it. I mean, just it's supporting the people. And, like, so many, I think in construction, everyone gets siloed very easily, right? Because, in general, y'all are on that project, y'all are on that project, you're on that project. And, like, there may be a, an office, but no one's at the office in, in general, right? Um, everyone's out on these silos, and so like you may be on a two or three man project team, or you don't know, have a bigger project team, smaller, or maybe bigger if you're on a lot bigger project. But it's so easy to lose people and forget about people, and you know, don't do all those things and support them like you were talking about.
0: I agree. It's a hundred percent. All right, what's next, boss?
1: <clears throat> so going back to what you were talking about a minute ago, uh, you were you know talking about you know getting all these tools and putting all these tools together to kind of be a, a well-rounded person. I w- it was just made me think like you know construction is stereotypically a super stressful industry but one thing that I found is like you know when you have all these tools and you practice 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 and like all these things become routine you're not stressed about the change order you got to go present you're not stressed about putting together this delay claim like you were talking about like these they just become routine right if you do them so much if just and you got the tools to do it it's it's no longer stressful it's just Part of it, another day of the job
0: yeah i agree I, I as you were saying that i was thinking like i've got 11 kids and i it's, it's very it's expensive but it's very manageable meaning that we were able to learn from ourselves and from other people how do you put them into buddy systems how do you do head counts in and out of vehicles how do you like you know cook dinner for that many people how do you do laundry it isn't so much the scale it's the know-how to your point Meaning, and the other thing that people get wrong is they think like a billion dollar project or a $500 million project is harder than uh, $5 million. And that's, I would actually say it's probably the opposite. A person on a $5 million project has to know, um, you know, permitting, make ready, entitlements, project startup, contracting, quality control process, you know, all the things all the way down to warranty and close out and change orders and reconciliation and lien waivers and all these things. When somebody on a mega project they're like, yeah, I do some middles for this. You know, like, you know, so mm-hmm. the, it's not really the scale, small or big. To your point, it's about knowing uh, what to do. And that information, we have, this is what pisses me off. I hope you don't have to cut that out. But, like, we know everything that we need to know today to run every project in the United States perfectly well, <laughs> I'm telling you, even, and some people are like, well, what about supply chain? Even with supply chain, today, we know, we have the collective knowledge of how to run remarkable projects nationwide, coast to coast, today. It is the systems that are holding us back, right? It is, it is the lack of sharing that's holding us back. It's the the fact that we're like motivated by other things that's holding us back. Like we know today exactly how to run remarkable construction projects. And that's what people need to know is that it's the trans, it's not the scale like you're saying, it's the transfer of that knowledge. And so it really does come back to training and scaling. It really does. Because like right now, like this sounds arrogant, but I'm just gonna tell you, if a project site Called let's let's not use me as an example, but like let's say they were like, hey, let's get Matt, Kyle, Felipe, Kyle Makeover, Adam, Jason together, Jesse, J-, you know, a couple of people together. in In a couple of days or a day, we could come up with a flawless plan that could be flawlessly well, not flawless, yeah, flawlessly executed in a <laughs> in a flawed world, and you could finish that project ahead of time, under budget with a raving fan client with a really good team. So what's the problem? Why don't we do that? We're in our silos. We're too busy. We're stuck behind emails. I don't have the budget for it. I'm a competitor, which is something I'm really getting annoyed at. Like, we should not <laughs> be competitors in the construction industry. We should. It should be a co-opetition, which is something that they came up with at Facebook. We are cooperating and sharing because, you know, Right, what do they say? Raising, rising tides raise, uh, elevates all mm-hmm. ships, or whatever it is. We, right. we have got to stop this human behavior that's keeping us from sharing and scaling because today we know how to do it. And we're still talking about in conferences and road shows and things. Here's what we do. Why in the world are we still talking about the same concepts we were talking about 15 years ago? For the love. Like, my goodness, like how, how do we all not know this? Like, it's because of the siloed, non-collaborative approaches, and we're not sharing teaching and scaling this information. We should be past that. We should be implementing a baseline. We should have all projects on the similar uh, st- minimum standards, and the industry should be talking about how we improve it from there. We should not be talking about the same thing we were talking about 20 years ago. It's It blows my mind.
1: Do you think these are just excuses that people are hiding behind? Just a... Just to- I mean, not really putting the effort, but to say, well, it is what it is, and we're kind of just, I got all these other excuses, I can't do it. No. Without having to really think outside the box.
0: Actually, no, the, no it, yeah, I don't. I think that people are coming to work doing the best that they can, and they're affected by the system. Now, this is where it gets complex. The system, meaning the contracts, the organizational structures, the industry, the way the AEC uh, industry works, is a system. The only way the system is going to change. If the people change the system. So it is a feedback loop between the system and the people. But most of the people coming in, your audience, are simply victims of the system. And so it's only gonna be when the owners, the general contractors, the leaders, the change makers really change it. Now here's I read a book based on Hal Mako. Do you guys know Hal? If if not, you need to get him on your podcast. He's he's a a who is it? Hal Makeomer. He's, no. he's probably the most widely underrated uh, and overqualified lean and construction expert I've ever been around in my entire life. But um, he asked me to read this book called The Triumph of Classical Management Over Lean Management. And I was, my mind was blown when I read it. In construction companies you have, and typically I'm a white male, all of you are white males, I'm gonna tease white males for a minute. I don't have any problem with white people. If we were in a country pr- predominantly with black and brown people or other ethnicities, you'd have the same problem of having too many of the same kind of people. But in the United States, we got a bunch of constructionies run by a bunch of crusty old white dudes, right? So like, you got all the crusty <laughs> old white dudes in a room and they will never experience what the craft workers experience. They don't know what it's like. They're not in the conditions. They're not out in the cold. They're not in the porta pies without toilet paper. They're not eating lunch on the ground. They're not holding a sandwich with uh, feces and urine on their hands. They're not working overtime. They're not away from their families. They're not in these crappy conditions. Who has the money? Do the workers have the money, or does the leadership team have the money? It's all right. of the leaders, the brotherhood, the boys club up here, that have the money. And they are still whether you make two percent margin on a pro uh, or sorry net profit on a project or four percent net profit or whatever it is they're still going to drive home in their bmw to their family that's it and so why would they spend money from here from the boys club to fix something here that they don't even experience and can't even connect with because they're not even in that world. The system of segregation is broken, and the only way this gets fixed is when you have the boys club, and hopefully it's turning into a boys and girls club, and hopefully it's turning into a boys and girls and diverse club on the leadership teams, until you get these leadership teams to not only be diverse male and female, to not only be diverse with ethnicities and backgrounds and social uh, uh, or or protected classes, not only uh, do they need to be diverse with their backgrounds, but they need to be diverse with their experience. Meaning that they need to connect and get out of the office and into the field at the place where the work is happening. That is where production is driven. That is where the industry changes. That is where we make the, the changes. And so we are not uh, going to make a change until that hierarchy is broken. And we get not only diversity uh, in the social classes, but also diversity of experience and care throughout the levels of our organization. And so if you think about it, why would a leadership team member, you know, the, the crusty old white dudes in the office, why would they, somebody's like, hey, I want to spend $40,000 to train our craft and to do, to, to make nice bathrooms. What do you think the rest of the group's gonna say? Why? Why would I do that? I'm not affected by that. How does that affect my wealth? How does that affect me getting home on time to my family? If they don't, if they're not there, if they don't have proximity, there's no motivation to change it. And so what I'm saying is that it today, owners, uh, leaders of construction companies, uh, policy makers, politicians, um, spec writers, we have, It is us. No one else is coming to fix this. It is us that have to fix this. The people coming into the industry are partially victims to the system. And the paradox is the system will only get fixed in a feedback loop with the people that are currently here. And so we need to snap out of it, wake up, realize what we're doing to people. And we need to have the courage to fix it today. And so my message to people is, hey, I tanked my retirement. Hundreds of thousands of dollars gone. I put in my contribution and I'm still doing it into the lot. I haven't earned that money back. I'm spending every day like you, Kyle and Matt, changing the industry. Business owner, where's yours? Uh, uh, owner, building owner, where's yours? Director, you know, uh, owner's rep, where's yours? We all need to put in and fix this now. Because if we don't, we're going to perpetuate the cycle because it's getting more complex with how much work we have. It's getting more complex because we have a run and a rush on the supply chain. And now because of that panic, we have massive delays. And it's getting more complex because we have less training. And it's becoming more complex. One last thing I want to say is because we've pissed everybody off by treating them like slaves. And now they don't want to work here anymore. So we're gonna fix it, or we're going to really uh, continue to to take a step backwards, and it's gonna get worse and worse. So I'm sorry for that rant, but like, oh. no, that's a great rant. I
1: was just thinking. I mean, there could be a huge catalyst coming down the pike to, to force that change too, because I mean, there are change makers that are want to do it from the grassroots, like us, right? But <laughs> the you're not really, you know, no matter what you say, you're not really reaching those, the boys club in the ivory tower, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. The ones that don't want to hear it, I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But with this labor shortage, which is getting worse every year, you know, it's always with skilled trades. Now you're hearing about construction manager shortages and 81%, according to AGC, 81% of the companies can't find enough project managers and all these things. You know, so the market always wins, in my opinion. So the companies that are treating the people right are going to be the companies who can get the employees yep. to work for them. And everybody else is just going to dry up and wither away.
2: Yep. And I'll, I'll, so I'll and put and my money right now. That that I mean, that, that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and just tying it all in, that's the, that's the whole point of this podcast, is reaching those next generations, because as we know, that trade shortage, in a few years, it's only going to get worse, and it's going to affect the construction managers and the superintendents and our leaderships on these sites, because that's where they come from. I mean, they all start yeah. start, start at that, that newer level at some point. So,
0: 100%. Yeah, when, when, well, I'm going to start a construction company probably like 6, 8, 12 months from now. I will have no problem hiring leaders in the company because I will treat them right. And I can't wait for two years from now being like, I don't have a labor shortage. I don't have a shortage of hiring people. It is, and you might want to cut this out because I'm going to piss the people off with this. Like every single thing wrong with this industry is our fault. It is the general contractors, partly the trade partners, and it's the building owners, and the AHJ's fault, period, end of story. We may, we caused this, and we have got to shut up about uh, with, with this comment of, oh, it's the skilled trades, it's them, they don't care. It's not true. It's our fault. We caused this. That's it. And we are the ones that can fix this. Absolutely.
1: Jason, I think that's a perfect spot to end.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, So, hey, real quick, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Uh, they can email me at S at com. They can call me at plus one six zero two five seven one eight nine eight seven. I'll give you my address if you don't, uh, if you promise not to come kill my family or slash my tires. Uh, but they can get me on LinkedIn is the preferred way on the Elevate Construction Podcast or at elevateconstructionist.com. We've got YouTube channels, we've got the whole nine. We'll always reach out. So uh, we're here. As a reference, we love you. On we go.
2: Great.
1: Jason, I appreciate your time, yeah. man. It's yeah, great. so much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have, to have you
1: back on so we can get you fired up about some more stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. I So I've resorted to some mild shaming for the people that don't get it they're holding our industry back. So I'm going to be poking on them for another couple of decades. So let's do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm all on board with poking. I'm all bored with poking people. Okay. All right. Well, all right. hey, this has been fun, Kyle and Matt. You all are great people. So uh, I wish you the best with this podcast. I hope people are listening to you. And I do want to say, if you only have like fifty or sixty listeners so far when you're tracking your numbers, that'll that'll go uh, that'll that'll escalate quickly. I just want to remind you, and I don't know what the numbers are, but when I I remember podcast you nailed it, yeah, I remember <laughs> podcast number six. I was like sixty. Is that my grandma and my family like who, are they, who is that? That's not very many people. And now we have uh, forty thousand downloads a month on our podcast, wow. and so. Uh, I just want to give you some hope. You stick with it. It's a long game. It's going to work out, and I, I believe in what you're doing. So. Great, thanks, I
1: appreciate James. it, Jason. Thanks a lot, man. Okay,
0: on we go.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks, listeners. Bye. See you. Bye.